0: The Enter Sad Men podcast. Every rock and metal album you should own.
1: Reviewed, rated, and ranked. Okay, so hello, hard rock chums, wherever you are. Welcome along to episode five, would you believe, of Enter Sad Men, the one and only podcast which takes you fondly on a journey down heavy metal memory lane, where we review, we rate, we rank, albums along the way until we, um, and when I say we, I mean me, I'm Steve, my buddies, Richard and Mark, until we have assembled definitive hall of fame and if you're listening to this already then you've already found us which is good on spotify apple podcast or podbean um, and you can also take part in the show by many other social media like means we're on twitter at enter sad men um, and you can search for us on facebook where the enter sad men podcast is we've also have our own wonderful website which is um entersadmen.co.uk where you'll find the Hall of Fame evolving in front of your eyes. And there's plenty of space there for comments on each episode. And we do want to hear your views on everything we're wittering on about, because let's get the conversation going. I know you won't agree with everything that Mark and Rich say. You'll probably agree with everything I say, and that's fine. And we want to hear about it. The boys can deal with that. So anyway, so this is episode five. As I say, um, we're four down, four goodens down so far. And Mark, talk us through what happened in four and talk us through what's going to happen in five.
2: Episode four was calling cards, wasn't it? It was debut albums, and uh, we had an eclectic mix. Uh, We went from nineteen seventy three with pronounced Leonard Skinnerd all the way through, all the way through the hair raising, super bouffanted, hairspray laden nineteen eighties with Rats out of the cellar, before finally ending in a screaming heap with Rage Against the Machine. Uh, from nineteen ninety two, so it was a, a really interesting and diverse, diverse show last week. And interestingly enough, rat emerged, I think, as um, as the top dog or the top rodent in uh, in last week's pick. Um, but there was an awful lot to be admired. But uh, the the thing is that the last four, the first four episodes, have been testosterone heavy haven't they let's be honest testosterone heavy um so we thought we'd go for a change this week didn't we rich yes
0: um and we thought it was time to um to give the girls a chance um and so rather than just introducing you know we 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 thought about going for bands with um you know obviously female members or female singers um, but we thought, well, that 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 that's not good enough, is it? So um, we've chosen, each chosen for this week's podcast, three all female rock bands. Mark and Steve um, have uh, managed to uh, get out of the seventies. Well, Mark only just, and they've uh, dragged themselves kicking and screaming into the eighties, which is which is grand news. I'll uh, I'll allow them to introduce their bands in a minute, um, and I, I've managed to. Um, uh, stick in the '90s, actually, um, and I've uh, uncovered a gem. But more about that um, in a minute. Uh, Mark, Steve, uh, you know, introduce uh, who you've selected for this week's podcast. Mark first.
2: Uh, I, well, since it's chronologically precedent, I suppose I might as well do that. I suppose, like you guys, I toyed briefly with the Runaways. I mean, who wouldn't want to toy briefly with the Runaways? Um, I, I weighed up the pros and cons of um, of going with Rock Goddess, um, who were a, a bit special for all sorts of reasons back in the early part of the 80s. Um, I considered Heart until I realised that, of course, Heart were not an all-female band. Um, so eventually I thought, well, do you know what? We haven't done the new wave of British heavy metal, and it seemed to me that, that was a, the stars aligned perfectly to welcome in the London Girls of Girls' School and Demolition. So that was my choice from 1980. Steve?
1: Well, yeah, and congratulations to you for um, falling into the double entendre or innuendo trap straight straight away with, uh, with your runaways crack. But, um, <laughs> 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 yeah, who wouldn't toy with them? Anyway, having burned a hole in the ozone layer with my hairspray last week with Rat, I'm sticking firmly in that era, going for Vixen. Who kind of not quite standalone, but they were um, well. The fact that they were called the female Bon Jovi, and amongst other high praise, is um, tells you all you need to know. I look forward to um, guiding you through um, the joys of them and their debut album. And it's a fair old while since I heard it. Remember, I absolutely adored it at the time. Yeah, it's good. Rich,
0: yeah. So you guys have chosen your two first. Your two bands, and um, yeah, like Mark, I looked at the Runaways. I looked at, at Rock Goddess, um, and I thought, well, it, it's um, how many all-girl rock and metal bands have there been? And you know, and not that many. And I, uh, you know, so I, I picked up my uh, trusty uh, great heavy metal uh, discography, um, authored by uh, Martin Strong. And I carefully flicked through all of the pages, and I came across a band I'd never heard of called Phantom Blue. Gave them a listen. Uh, I'm going to not say any more right now. I'll uh, talk about my reaction later when we come to the album. But I've gone for their second album called uh, Built to Perform. But yeah, it was, and it was a, a great discovery. But more about that um, later. we are going to kick off then guys are you both ready as we take this journey into um, the goddesses of metal
2: absolutely can't wait Um, And we're
0: going to start with uh, Mark and Girls' School's Demolition.
2: Opening album Sleeve Notes. It's 1980. I'm on the school bus, clutching my copy of Sounds. Because back in the day, I don't know about you boys, back in the day, you fell into one of two camps. You either read Sounds or you read The Enemy. And because uh, Sounds was very much the kind of rock mag rock paper because it was paper it wasn't a magazine even and um, because that was a a, a rock paper uh, i was i was a sounds boy and in previous editions there'd been a whole load of talk about this girl band that were tearing up the london gig scene had been signed and were about to release their debut album and actually it was the first time that there had been a real buzz that i was aware of and Um, And there was a huge anticipation for this album. So I'd got my copy of Sounds. It had been delivered that morning. So I took it to school, took it on the bus. And I uh, I went and read the review of Demolition by Girls' School. And Jeff Barton, I think, the editor of Sounds, who later interviewed me for a job on Sounds, but didn't give me the job, um, Jeff Barton had given this thing um, five stars. It was a five-star album. So... I think this would have been a Wednesday or a Thursday that sounds came out. The Saturday I went out and I bought the album, and it was just unlike anything I'd ever heard before. That I was, you know, I'd heard Saxon, I'd heard a debut album by Def Leppard on through the night. You know, Iron Maiden were kind of a staple, but but this was just um, like a fusion of punk and metal. Um, and it was a completely different sound and actually later on when their relationship with motorhead became really established it was so obvious that those two bands were going to uh, align because they had such uh, a shared sort of um, musical direction i suppose motorhead were faster and louder in all sorts of ways but Girls' school were were they were the equivalent the female equivalent of of motorhead and um, but with with huge melodies and and you know, soaring riffs and yeah, you know, all the rest of it. So yeah, I think they were the right band for me to bring to this party. So how did you two get on with them? I I'll just tell you before you start, there is absolutely nothing wrong with this album. You're not allowed to criticize it in any way. Because I, I have rediscovered just how good this album is.
1: Okay, can I um let me tell you a story. About a year or two ago, I was reading a review of a um, of a Bob Seger track we've got tonight. This is a couple of years ago. This bloke had written a paean to "We've Got Tonight." If it was ten thousand words, I'm underestimating it. He'd put his heart and soul into this review of this song, which is a lovely song, as we all know. It's a good song. He'd spent days, weeks, months nurturing this piece, crafting this beautiful piece. For everyone to read on his views on We've Got Tonight by Bob Seger. No stone left unturned in his appraisal. Good or bad, and I can't honestly remember, but he'd put the hours in on this piece. He hits send. This thing goes onto a page on the internet, and he can't wait to see this massive piece reviewed by the world over. All he gets is one comment, and part of me died. Part of me died with him when he got this one comment, because all it says was, You've probably overthought this. And I thought, this man, this man has sweated blood and tears on his views, crafting this magnificent piece on a single song. And all he's got is a four word rebuff and a winking emoji. And I thought, and I thought of that when I thought of this for very different reasons, because I thought, you know, the one thing you can't do with girls' school and demolition is overthink it you cannot overthink this album and that's and i'm not being um, and i'm not being un- unkind in any way shape or form but it runs for every track it's and there may be variations on this it's riff verse chorus verse chorus some kind of solo bridge possibly both out and you just think you know what this is um this is a this is a fifth form band that's, that's year 11 to today's kids um given a record contract and said go on go and do 10 tracks go make some noise and um and they came up with this and and as I say none of this is a criticism I'm saying this out of utter affection for what I think is a fantastic piece of work it's very infectious not in an Ebola way in a very good way it's it's and um it's just it's it's an album that really kind of passed me by, and you can see and yeah it's it's really seriously you can see why motorhead loved them it's very punky it's there's elements in the singing which is almost debbie Harry and you kind of get that um there's there's boys, I loved it I was really really impressed really impressed
2: well that's that's an endorsement, Richard you
1: mm-hmm.
0: Uh, did you know anything about them at the time, Steve? Do you, presumably, you'd have seen them on top of the pops, doing some of the singles off of this. Uh, obviously, they were a head girl with Mothead doing the "Please Don't Touch" on the Saint Valentine's Day Massacre EP. That's the only one I remember.
1: That's the That's only one the- I remember on top of the pops.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was yeah for me. It was yeah. It was, it was a combination of. of of reading sounds, top of the pops, uh, Friday night rock show, and Axe Attack. <laughs> well, I think it was Race Race with the Devil was on uh, was on uh, Axe Attack. Um, and uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, at the time, I yeah, I I did um, did uh, ever so slightly fall uh, in love with uh, with Kelly Johnson, but uh, yeah
2: uh i think i think you and i were in the same queue mate i mean their pr their pr was quote i read an interview with their pr as part of the research for this and he said that they had a, an awful time trying to sell the rest of the band to the press because the press only wanted to talk to kelly they only wanted to talk to kelly johnson so um
1: which is mad, because yeah. they were never they were never an appearance band, were they? They'd always made that abundantly clear, hadn't they? Um, yeah.
2: Kim McAuliffe, um said, you know, at the time said, you know, we we didn't have stage gear. We wore our street clothes on stage, and if you didn't like what we did, well, you go fuck yourself.
1: Yeah, and she also made the point that that they only they only kind of formed that it wasn't a deliberate act that a girl rock band came together. She made the point, and I saw in the interview that. The only reason they did is because none of the lads wanted to play with them. You know, That's they, right. They, they were aware they could all play instruments. And by a process of elimination, all the boys saying, well, fuck you, um, they wound up together as a foursome and bang.
2: And, and yeah, whatever you think of this, uh, and you're right, You know, there is a formula to this album, but whatever you think about it, they can bang a fucking tune out, can't they? You know, they're just right on it the whole time.
1: Yeah. So. I, you
0: know, and. Cool the way the album starts i mean i thought, i mean demolition boys it's just such a brilliant brilliant track um, and it, again it it was it, we we talked about statement tracks last week didn't we um, and i think it's a it's a great great opener that just represents look this is us <laughs> if you don't like it sod off
2: <laughs> yeah yeah precisely that's exactly what it. That's exactly what it is, and uh, and what I love about this album is you can you can hear the transition between punk and metal, um, because there's so much of it that's really punky. And you're right, Steve. You know, there's a lot of Debbie Harry in this. There's a lot of Pretenders in this. Um, you know, there are a lot of influences that you can hear throughout this album, but all done with these big choruses and big riffs and big hook lines. I just—it's I, been a little what—not actually that—not as long as you might think since I last heard this album, but it's been a, a few years. But you know, I was thinking, oh God, yeah, I should, maybe I should have chosen Rock Goddess. Would that have been a more interesting choice? And I stuck this on. I just went, oh no, no, this is just this is magic, uh, absolute magic.
0: Um, it's really not bad for a for, not bad at all for a first album, is it?
2: Well, I think they were quite lucky as well, weren't they? They they had a decent producer in the studio with them as well. You know, Vic Mail had um, uh, was, went off and produced. Um, I mean, the next job he took on was Ace of Spades after this, um, followed quite quickly by No Sleep Till Hammersmith. Um, so he yeah he he'd been around. And uh, <laughs> do you see the interview? I, I don't know whether you came across this during the last week. Um, a quote from Lemmy, who said. I'm paraphrasing. Apart from the last bit, I'm paraphrasing. apart <laughs> i would
1: paraphrase the whole lot if I was you. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Have you right. seen it? This bit? <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, so Lemmy says, "Thing about Vic was he understood rock and roll. He just let the band do what they wanted to do, and he 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 was just like us, really. So basically, he was a cunt. <laughs> so that's bringing endorsement from Lemmy, I would say."
1: Yeah, I know so, Kim McAuliffe gave the impression that um that they were slightly wary of Vic Mail when they all started. I, I don't quite know what I, I don't know enough about the bloke to understand it, but um his certainly his track record's pretty impressive, isn't it? I mean he's he's pretty, I mean I know he died young. He produced a hell of a lot of decent bands and um, decent albums, so um you know he was obviously the right man for the job. And they obviously warmed to him eventually because I mean, um because there's a real sense of I don't know. There's just a sense of sort of fun and camaraderie, and just and it's just a sort of good time album, isn't it? That so you wouldn't do that if the producer wasn't in on it as well.
2: Well, no, you wouldn't. And the other thing I like about this album is there is not a ballad in sight. There's no, there's no. Oh uh, God, you know we've got to have a ballad because every rock album has to have a ballad somewhere. They, they weren't interested. They were just interested in kind of shredding it, weren't they? Um, but I, I was thinking as I was listening to it. I, uh, it's worth saying that you know we listen to the these albums as we're talking, and I was uh, I've listened to this obviously a number of times over the last week, uh, and I I feel like we're we're back to talking about bassists again, aren't we? Because the the role that Enid Williams plays in this, apart from providing vocals on most of it, the bass line throughout all of this is is absolutely stonking.
0: Yeah, it is. Yeah, you're right. Um, and I mean, they were they were all. Um, I mean, they were young, weren't they? I mean, to, uh, I mean, when they recorded this album, I think Kim was what 21. Kelly was 22. Um, yeah, I mean, Enid was what? Yeah, Enid was 20.
1: And they had they had I mean, they had no baggage, they just they just went into it as a bunch of young innocents, didn't they, and thought, you know, almost kind of i mean I, I made a joke about it earlier about the fifth school fifth form band or whatever, but um, you know, they just felt like a group that was straight out of school, shoved into a studio and said, yeah, hey, kids you, you we know you can play, so have some fun, we're not expecting miracles, but we're expecting something decent, just going back to something that you said before, mark um." The Ballad, The Great Ballad Dread, because, of course, I didn't know the album that well, and, um, and I've forgotten it any, anyway. And I, was, and I was looking, and I was, we're going through Take It All Away at the moment, which is um, quite ACDC. I love this kind of, there's a bit Young Brothers in it, isn't there? And um, so, so far, so good. And I was looking down the wording, and I thought, oh, Midnight, Midnight Ride, baby doll. they can't, can they? Sure, they can't hit us with a ballad because it'll be shite. It just, this just feels like a, as you said, this just feels like a band who shouldn't go near soft stuff.
2: And um, thankfully, they didn't. No, they they didn't. And um, uh, so um, Nothing to Lose has just come on, which um, is my absolute high point of the album, I have to say, Um, which features the the wonderful lyric, um, who cares what anyone says, we're going to do it anyway. Nothing to lose, everything to gain, out of my head in the pouring rain. Fantastic (laughs) lyric. Um, But I think they were... um, I think they were they were also lucky. I think to be put on an on a label that at the time had a big reputation for a discovering talent and then backing it, you know, with Jerry Brown. And um, they, I, I seem to remember reading that um, the band actually had to audition for for him to get to be signed. So they they. And he signed them on the spot. Apparently, I think they played one song, and that was it. He was like, "Okay, that'll do. Thanks very much. Um, You know, you're signed." But you know, a decent producer, record label with a a track record for discovering talent and backing it. You know, uh, a a bunch of talented girls who could play um, and could knock out a decent, you know, sing along
1: tune. Mm. Brilliant. What was the record label, Mark?
2: Bronze.
0: Bronze, yeah, the way it was, Mothead recorded on the on that label. Yeah. They, went,
1: they
0: could, they, um, they, read I mean, they 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 released "Take It Away" all the way as a single, and and Lemmy heard them, um, and that they and they they uh, went to see him live, and then they offered him a um, a support on the Overkill tour. Yeah, um, and I suppose that that then it was that then that that. Um, uh, piqued the interest of Bron and Bronze records and it went from there, I suppose.
2: I'll tell about you you guys, but at 21, 22, I think even even as gauche as I was at that age, and as as sort of you know reckless as I was at that age, I think the thought of going out on tour with Mother would have absolutely <laughs> horrified me.
0: Well yeah well, that, I mean that's, that's that's that was that was spring seventy nine. So yeah yeah so so, some of them um, would I mean Ian Williams would, would would have been would have been 19 18 19
2: <laughs> would you want your daughter in the same room as filthy animal Taylor <laughs> I, mean, I ask you if if my daughter came to me and went dad got this gig going off on tour with motorhead I'd have gone no you're not <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> Yeah, they toured with a lot of decent bands, didn't they? I mean, did you ever see them live, you boys? Because I'd I'm, imagine no. they must have had a good show. It Must have been a good show, surely? Because it's um, it's proper, it's proper dandruff clearing rock, isn't it? I mean, you, you'd get your head down to this.
2: Yeah, and and they're so obviously you can tell from the 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 kind of the uh, I suppose the outtakes that they've left in, so the intakes. Mm. um they're having the time of their lives in the mm. studio, aren't they? They're laughing, joking.
1: Yeah, Beaked out on the album again. <laughs> yeah. are, are you getting that little bit of the kind of the cure Bauhaus with the guitar work in this? they, they yeah, I mean, you know, we say they yeah, exactly, yeah. We say they're, um, they're simple, and you know, I mean, it's almost an offense to say, I mean, it's brilliantly simple, simply brilliant is what I mean to say. Um, but they don't have colour, some different things to get it, you know, within what seems pretty uncomplicated. They, uh, you know they are adaptable and flexible. They are picking up on things and um, you know using it to uh, to their own devices. Good stuff.
2: Well, they're not derivative, are they? No, they've created not. their own sound. They've created their own sound, um, and, and I mean, this, I think it's probably fair to say this is as good as they will ever get. You know, they didn't know it at the time, but they would never, I think, achieve this quality again. Um, yeah hit and run was a decent enough album but by the time they got to screaming blue murder and you know nightmare at maple cross it it was all starting to fall apart a bit and uh, yeah and of course then um the band started to break up anyway um but i i knew denise uh dufort's brother well when i was working as a journalist on um the local paper um I got this call. I was doing the music column. I was writing the music column because I was, you know, whatever I was when we got back from Hastings. Steve, what was I? Nineteen. Mm. And um, so, I, obviously, as the youngest person in the office, I was given the music column to write. And um, one day, the phone went, and uh, it was a, a bloke on the other end. He said, "My name's Dave, and I've got a band. And uh, you know, uh, I'm 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 in Stevenage, and can you know, do, do you fancy an interview?" I'm being a bit short of copy that week. And I said, "Yeah, absolutely fine. Come and you know, come and we'll have a chat." And he turned me. It was he was, a, he was a massive bloke. He was And so I said, I said yeah, "I'm Mark." Uh, he said, "Yeah, I'm I'm Dave Dufort And I went, oh, I bet. some relation of Denise, no doubt." <laughs> Expecting to go, what? <laughs> anyway, he went, "No, yeah, I'm his, I'm a brother." So I went, oh oh. Okay, fair enough. Anyway, his his band was called Phantasm. It was shocking. <laughs> <laughs> shocking I think even I think even Dave would probably say it was a shocking band now. But um he was a lovely bloke, actually, I have to say. But I he never got me a backstage pass to see these.
1: Yeah, these what boys. a shame. So presumably they cut their teeth in, in your neck of the woods then, in sort of South Hertfordshire. I presume that's where they were doing their um early gigging, wasn't it? I would imagine.
2: Um, I, do you know what? I don't know. Uh, probably. I mean, I think they they were they, well, they they've always been touted as a as a South London band, haven't mm. they? Um,
0: yeah, Wandsworth, apparently.
2: Yeah. Um, but I mean, I guess they were gigging wherever they could get a gig at the time. I mean, you know, these back in the day, these bands were pretty damn hard, didn't
1: they? Yeah. No. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's just um, the studios in Rickmansworth were not for where this was done and there's the Maple Cross link further down the line I just thought you know there's a kind of there's a close to the end 25 gig going on there but uh, who knows Well yeah
2: you know, I, I mean I always thought that there must be some sort of link to you know South Hertfordshire Buckinghamshire the you know Bucks border because of because of the nightmare Maple Cross album title Junction 17 mm. you know. <laughs>
0: There's certainly a theme we're discovering, aren't there, with some of these um, debut albums of this, this sort of just this honest, raw um, performance encouraged by the producers who set up the right environment for that band. Uh, I mean, so I, I, I didn't find much about the actual recording process of this album. I don't know if either of you did. I mean, it certainly sounds like they just – they would just um, uh, allowed in a studio and just, just let rip girls, you know?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think they were in and out, weren't they? They wouldn't have had, as a new young band, they wouldn't have had a lot of time to, to get this down, I wouldn't think. And you can hear that, actually. You know, it's, it's raw. And, um, yeah, I, mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they just did it in a day because <laughs> it sounds like they just went in, banged it out, went out
1: so if it, if it if it put them on the map, which it clearly did and i t- I'll tell you what this isn't gonna be the f- i mean i'll go I'll take your word on on the uh, slightly inferior following albums and you know how many bands many many of our bands in the Hall of Fame, their best will have been their first and they've done nothing since but, but that aside um did it turn them into something really magnificent, this band, or not? Because because I know they they did go to America. I know that, but um, presumably on a support card, they wouldn't have been on a they wouldn't have been headlining out there, would they? Um, but all I remember, I just remember vaguely. And Rich, you, you alluded to it earlier. Yeah, them being on top of the pops with Lemmy, and that was to most of us who weren't you know sounds readers. That was kind of it. I thought with Girls' School. did they become yeah, a? Yeah, but,
2: that, that, I mean they were they were yeah they were making a noise for a little while you know hit and run was this was you yeah know, i suppose the the calling card from the the second album um which in in many ways I, I still think is is one of my favorite rock songs of all time actually in all sorts of ways but um i think they they've I guess as a band, you want to go out. If you're going to go out, you want to go out with a bang, and I think they went out with a whimper. Mm. You know, they just sort of slid out of out of the public eye a bit, and I think all of the lineup changes didn't help. And you know, obviously, you know Kelly Johnson left the band, and that was, I mean, to be honest, music musicianship aside, she was the face of the band. So when she went. The press kind of lost interest a bit as well because, yeah. you know, there wasn't the, the sort of the tall blonde one that they could focus on.
1: And I'm yeah, guessing but, they're, well, I'm guessing they looked a bit of a band out of time, didn't they, by the mid eighties? Anyway, I mean, our tastes in rock had moved on a little bit, and unless you had a personality as massive as Lemmy or Bruce Dickinson or could hold a band together like any of those, and you know, Girl School were never going to be in that league, were they? Then, yeah, their days when they were always going to be a decent band to watch live, but. Their days were numbered as a as a sort of starring actor would have thought. Did they play any festivals?
2: Not well. I, I'm sure they did, but none. None. Of the, I don't think any of the big ones. And they were a bit too early for Donnington, So, yeah.
0: but I think an, another thing here, which I'm sure will come back when we talk about Vixen and uh, and Phantom Blue as well, is um, the extent to which the fact that they were an all female band inhibited them um, you know in, a, in, a, in an industry that is incredibly male dominated um, and so you know, they, um, they certainly treated as objects weren't they I mean it was you know, that they, they were um, a lot of people were interested in girls school because of Kelly's looks <laughs> not necessarily their their music um, and so I, I think you know all of these things have a an effect on each other. I mean, they were certainly you know they could, they write they could write bloomy good tunes. They could absolutely play. You know, it's been fascinating watching on YouTube some of the live shows. And I mean they they were brilliant live.
2: Yeah, yeah, they were. Um, you know, from what I've seen, I didn't see them. You know, in in person, but you see the footage, and you know they they go mad for them, don't they? The, the audience. I mean, they had a hugely loyal following as well. Yeah. Yeah. A following that was, you know, kind of walk over broken glass for them in all sorts of ways. Um, you're just listening to Emergency. Have you did you um have you guys listened to um Motorhead and Girl School covering each other's songs? So, um
0: Yeah, yeah, well well I did I I had the um I had the St. Valentine's Day Massacre EP. Of course. um so what? what oh, comes what? Um, what did um, what, what? 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 Oh, it comes has gone from me What? What? What song did Girl School cover on?
2: Bomber. Bom- Bomber. And you know, Denise Dufort has has to be a pretty good drummer. Yeah.
0: To pull yeah. that off. And can you remember why she was playing the drums?
2: Because uh, Phil had broken his neck, hadn't he?
0: Yeah, falling down stairs. Yeah, probably right. was after too much special brew. Yeah, um, mm. yeah, and he he uh, so he, and he he appears on the front cover of that EP with a neck brace on.
2: That's, I was going to say, I'm sure he, I'm sure on the front cover he's got a he's got a neck brace. That's right. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean to be honest, and Lemmy on the front of that is is slightly more terrifying than Marlon Brando.
0: Yeah, and the, the big coat with the gun, isn't he?
2: Yeah. And and the and the and the big, you know, the big hat. Um yes, <laughs> it's a fearsome character. But um interestingly, I thought um Girl School did a fabulous job of Bomber in a way that Motorhead I think didn't do a great job of emergency.
1: They, they did it differently, didn't they? Apparently, I mean, it yeah. wasn't it wasn't standard. Mothead. I've just been reading a, a critical review and I'm not at all that I'm well aware of. And it. it says, um, talking about some Valentine's Day massacre, it says, um, from All Music, this glorious artifact documents one of the most peculiar detours in motorheads uniformly pedal to the metal career. But I get, I get the impression that they'd have walked over broken glass for this for these girls, that, that they really. So took them under their wing. I mean, Lemmy says he had an affair, a small affair, doesn't he? He said he had a small affair with I don't know, I forget it, it was probably Kelly, presumably, but um yeah, he always made that point. But they obviously had a real soft spot for each other.
2: Yeah, I think they did. I think I think well, I think Lemmy saw um saw a a talented band that could probably quite use a, a little bit of Motorhead's influence, actually. Yeah. Um well, I'm sure he finessed a load of stuff for him.
0: He'd really like their attitude as well because their, their their you know their, their fuck you attitude um, was I, mean, I, th- I think re- really really admirable. They, they just uh, they did what they wanted to do, dressed mm. up to dress, play what they mm. wanted to play. Mm. Um, they reacted when you know, at least in these early days, trying to be pigeonholed into yeah, a, a, a particular box.
1: Well, I mean, there were no Barbies, but then Motorhead were no Kens, were they? So it kind of worked. But you know what I mean? And um, and, and, the, but the, and the music they played, of all the girl bands, that were, as you've already mentioned, the Perry, and there weren't that many around, um, what they played was right up Lemmy Street, wasn't it? It was exactly the kind of music he would tolerate.
2: Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, and I'm just listening to Baby Doll now. And, and if this isn't, if this isn't a kind of a punk hangover, nothing is, you know, but it's got that, it's got this awesome sort of chugging rock riff going through it as well. It's just brilliant. You know, I, I absolutely love this album. So come on then. Let's talk about highs and lows. Um, come on, Steve, start with you. Yeah.
1: Okay. Hi. Well, um, the, the, my high was, um, was not for sale. Um, I've, it's, there's, a, there's something in the chorus I love. I, I don't know. It, and it, 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 what I did find there's very little between any of them, to be honest. But that stands out. I love the solos. Love the bridges back into the riff off the solo. Love the whole track. I think it's brilliant. I couldn't actually find a weakest. i have given three of them, six. And if I was gun to my head, I'd say Baby Doll, perhaps the weakest of those three. But honestly, um, I like I like the album an awful lot. Uh, and it was, and it was a pleasure to go back to. I say go back to it, almost go to it for the first time for me. And it was, um, yeah, the a treat. It was good, Richard. Yeah, high
0: points for me. Um, Demolition Boys. Uh, I just think it's a absolutely colossal track. Um, and what, also for me, what was interesting, even though it's a cover, is Roast of the Devil." Um, I've I've heard so many times, but again in these. Um, these weeks that we're listening to these albums uh, and and properly afresh um what a fantastic cover it is what a fantastic song um so I think yeah I I really enjoyed listening to that uh, properly again yeah and again it, it's I, I agree with you I, I think it's a it's a very very consistent album yeah if I had to choose one yeah maybe maybe baby Doll as well um um, it's interesting that they chose, you know, they chose this as a uh, Doll as a live track. Um, where so I think it, in part, yeah, the, the live recording wasn't brilliant, and uh, I would have really been really interested in hearing a, a stu- proper studio produced version of it, because um, I think that the song's a bit weaker for for the, the the live production. I guess they wanted to show that these perhaps these girls can play live. Um, but yeah, I, um, yeah, it, uh, yeah. Steve's point: no ballads. It just keeps going and going and going, um, and then um, and you know finishes with with deadline, which is is a nice sign off. Yeah. Two fingers.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. So for my part, um, nothing to lose it has always been my favourite track on this album since, since the day i bought it so that was never going to change um and i, I i'm inter- I, i'm i'm surprised that you two think baby doll is the weakest weaker or weakest of them um don't
1: it's all relative my friend it's all relative
2: absolutely i'm not not taking issue with it i just think it's interesting because i think it's one of the stronger tracks on the album but um so if i had to pick one um given my earlier caveats, there's nothing bad on this album, uh, then I would probably go with Midnight Ride. But all in all, I think, you know, as a a young band heading out in 1980, that's a hell of an album.
0: Yeah, great choice. I really, really enjoyed listening to it.
2: Right. So next up, we're heading eight years down the line to 1988. And the... Hairspray heaven that is Vixen.
1: Opening album sleeve notes. Okay, so from the early 80s, we're going to go to the late 80s with uh, Vixen and their eponymously titled debut album, 1988. Now, Mark's just taken us on a journey back to with a strictly no-nonsense metal with girls' school. So now's probably the right time, I think, to ask why it took until 1988 for the world of hard rock to finally cough up a female glam act quite like Vixen we think of we think of successful all-female bands obviously from the mid-70s onwards um you know, have been a stack of important females in music obviously we can all name the great names from you know Baez, Joplin, Mitchell and whatever and you brought up um the Runaways in the mid-70s who I think were kind of they were seen as, as pioneers, weren't they? And 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 they spawned, if that's the right word, which it probably isn't, um, you know, the likes of Lita Ford and Joan Jett um, and punk, and punk embraced it. There were fem- female bands like the Slits and the Raincoats. Um, and then, of course, we had the Bangles and the Go-Go's. And so I know you mentioned, Richard, there haven't been that many, but th- there's been a few. But you thought if there was one kind of metal scene that, would have been chock a block with female bands. It would have been hair metal. And I just don't get I mean, in short, blokes can look drop dead gorgeous in spandex, shoulder pads, and when caked in mascara. Um, and that seemed to be the recipe for so many, you know, wannabe glam acts. So you know, where were the girls in all this? Um, which goes back to a, a far deeper question about um metal being a man's world and has been for far too long. We know that. I'm sure you could write a thesis on it. And I'm sure people have, I'm no intention of. Um, but anyway, so the, the point is that brings me to Vixen, who you know, I happened upon pretty much at the time of this album being released. Um, they're from Minnesota, but moved to LA, the brainchild of the wonderful Jan Kuhnemund, um the late and wonderful Jan Koonamund on guitar. Um, and they've been through many, many incarnations ever since, but this album was the classic. Line up with Janet Gardner on vocals, uh, Cher Pedersen on bass and Roxy Petrucci on drums. Um, They were... Kuhnermund had the idea at high school. and I don't know whether you... You you will know this. Everyone knows this. But they moved to LA in the 80s and Kuhnermund and Gardner had a band who were called Diaper Rash. I mean, it's an appalling name, isn't it? And they were actually in a low-budget sex comedy called Hard Bodies. I kid you not. I've not That's seen fine. it, but I will go and look. Just you, is anyone seen it? Anyone know? No.
2: no, not even in the interest of research. No?
1: No, well, I might just have to do that belatedly, <laughs> perhaps late at night. Um, and they played, um, I, I, I gather they played six songs on Hard Bodies. No idea what it's like. But anyway, so then so there were the two of them, Gardner and Koonamund, and then um, the drummer, Roxy Petrucci. <sighs> Roxy Petrucci. She was the one I really fancied, because you have to fancy one, Daniel, more than the rest with all female bands. That's the given. And Roxy was mine. And that was her real name as well, which was even better. Um, she came next. She'd been with Madame X. Um, and then the three of them, Gardner, Kunamund, and Pratricci, and the original bass player, I forget the name of, sent off a demo to EMI, signed by EMI in 87. Um, by then, Cher Pederson had turned up, taken on bass duties classic lined up, formed, Um, and this album emerged, and it was a huge deal, spawning two massive top 30 singles. We just heard the first of them there, Edge of a Broken Heart. Um, The other one was Crying, which is the third track. Um, They were favourites back then, those two tracks. They still are now. They were... They supported a hell of a lot of big names. And you can understand, you know, they supported the Knights of Kiss as well as touring as headliners in their own right, which they would. Um, but they supported the Knights of Kiss and Bon Jovi and Scorpions. Um, they played the Milton Keynes Festival in 89, and I wasn't there. I think you were, Mark. Were you? No, I don't think I was, actually. I was gutted. Gutted yeah. to miss out on that. Um, but, but the point is, you could see why those big stadium bands would want Vixen on their undercard. And, um, you know, first, but probably least important, they looked to be on the up. Um, and their first album was certainly decent. But <laughs> it's making the bones about it. They were four long-haired chicks in leather who rocked. Therefore, they're easy on the eye. Don't get me into the rights and wrongs of all this shit. But this is the mid-'80s. Labels had big venues to fill, and Vixen were box office. And for, for, for reasons you know, that transcend just the music. And and, and they were well aware of that. I've, I've seen interviews with and, um, and she knew the score. She was a smart cookie. She said that, well, I, I mentioned it earlier in the intro, that, that Vixen were known as the female Bon Jovi. And she absolutely happy with that moniker or, that she said she was at the time. Um, and again, I get the impression from reading interviews with all the girls at the time um, that they were absolutely having the time of their lives. And I think you get a sense of that in the album. um. When I, when I went back to, I mean, I've not played it for probably about ooh, 10, 15 years, um, just because, as ever with most things glam, you just kind of wear out of it after a while, don't you? It's it's of a time far more than a lot of other um, genres. Um, but I've come back to it almost with a sort of sense of trepidation. You know, would it be would it be as good as I remember it? And I love it. I absolutely love it. I mean, it's um, there's, there's there's two or three weaker bits in it on, on side two inevitably um, but basically it's a, it's a really good album and I'd love to know if um, if you share my enthusiasm for it Richard um
0: it uh, do I should I, I, I enthusiasm <laughs> um, I it, it was a good listen um but I think you know it, it. It's for 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 rock. It's easy on the ear, isn't it? We're talking about easy on the eye. It's, it's very easy on the on the ear. It, it's it's inoffensive, you know. Um, it's, um, it's Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, mostly harmless. Um, so it it, it was. I, I've enjoyed listening to this. I wouldn't have said it's um, made my heart pump. Um. Uh, I mean, it, 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 as you say, it, it really. Um, I mean, it's EMI. That there is a there is definitely a formula here. Um. You know, I've, I didn't realise I'm into it. You know, so, you know, R- Richard Marks um, and Fee Weibel of the Tubes co-wrote. Um, edge of a broken heart and if you look down the songwriting credits on the album it's gonna I mean, be obviously that the, the, the girls do appear in a number of songs but lots of lots of writers so this is this album has been you know has created and curated hasn't it um and it's and it's there for you know a, um a, a particular market um you know i think you know i always felt you know i want you to rock me the track we've listened to was just when I first heard it. it, was, it I mean, it sounded a bit rock set. Um Crying is is very much in the heart genre, isn't it? Um, so, uh, so yeah. I mean, it was. I've. It, it's it's been a good listen. Um, but um, we will come on to it in a minute. I think it'd be a, poor, poor Vixen have kind of been sandwiched here tonight between two girl bands of unbelievable attitude. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Uh, do you know what? Every single song on this album and I've listened to this album over the last week six or seven times. Um and on it, almost every track, I couldn't help thinking how much better it would have been if Hart had recorded it. <laughs> um and i think if you take the the two big hits if you take edge of a broken heart and you take crying crying um you know this is this is the heyday of mtv mtv will have lapped this up you know um this they, these girls were made for mtv you know um they were never not going to be big Yeah, as uh, they would have had to have been done something spectacularly idiotic not to have made it with a label like EMI behind them, um, and and ignore their yeah. And I'm not just talking about you know the fact they're women and yeah, and that that whole kind of misogynistic kind of argument or debate that we could go off and have, but won't because actually it's. For, for whether it's right or wrong yeah it's 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 slightly tedious thing to do on a show like this but but i think um i i think there are all sorts of problems with this album one of which is i think there are too many people involved in it actually they they don't actually establish their own sound uh, and i think part of that is because either by design or through lack of ability, they've not been allowed to write their own material. And I suspect all of these songwriting credits are EMI buying in hitmakers to write for them because, because as a commodity, Vixen Vixen were going to make them a lot of money, so they needed them to, to, to succeed. Um, and, and I actually think this album... Doesn't do justice to their ability. Actually, I, I really struggled to like it in all sorts of ways. Um, and and I remember, I remember buying it when it first came out, and I remember listening to it. And I think I only ever played it once, and and I kind of, I know now why I only played it once. And it's not because it's as 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 Rich says, it's it's easy on the ear. It's not it's not offensive. And maybe that's part of the problem with it for me is that it's not it's not standing up, you know, with a fist in the air, going, "We're going to rock." I mean, even <laughs> even the um, the song "Hell Raisers." I mean, there's there's that they're, they're not raising hell in it. I just I don't get it. It's just the most interesting track on the album for me is is the one that's currently in our ears, which is um, "American Dream," where they've got this funk thing yeah. going on. Yeah, um, I agree. And, and actually, that, that's the thing for me, is there's not enough interesting stuff going on in it. It's not badly performed, certainly not badly performed. These girls can sing, they can play, they look great, but there's just, there's no, there's no edge. There's no edge to the album for me.
1: Wow. Okay. Right. Four things. Four things. Actually, it won't be four, because I'll forget them as I go through them. But... <laughs> <laughs> the first thing, because I can remember that, we liked we liked inoffensive glam metal back in the day. I can't believe you played this so little. I take you back to look what the cat dragged in, for example. I mean, it's not it's not cutting edge, but but we played that over and over and over again. There's many many bands like um, like Poison, who are like Vixen, you know, but just bands who looked the part, played just solid rock music of that genre and and so so why did so why did we like great white warrant poison far more than so, vixen
2: so it's interesting that you mention warrant okay dirty rotten filthy stinking rich which everybody thinks is a great album and it's not actually it's not a very good album at all as i'm sure we will discover at some point over the next 26 years as we go through this process <laughs> a lot of these albums that we love we love because because of the look, because of well, what they they has to, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely, they had that. I think my, I, I'm not trying to be critical of them as a band. In fact, I think they're a really, really good band that haven't been allowed to be a band.
1: Yeah, I heard, I heard, I heard, I heard, I heard you say that, and that was my second or third or fourth point. I can't remember which, but. I agree with you entirely. The, the, music. If you look at their musicianship and going back in time, long before the band were formed, some of the stuff they were doing. <clears throat> excuse me. They're all talented girls. You know, they, they're, they're all really talented girls. But with the full might of EMI behind them, they weren't allowed to be themselves. They weren't. The, EMI were always going to say, right, we've got some great songwriters out here, uh, the likes of Richard Marx and Jeff Paris. Um, we know Jeff Parrish from Y&T, of course, don't we? He wrote some songs for y and I mean, top-notch, top-notch writers. And Richard, you made the point that the girls, you know, thumbprints are on a few of these tracks. That's right, they are. But that's all. You know, it, it's kind of it's not their album in terms of, in terms of writing credits. But having said that, again, Roxy Petrucci said, you know, great songs are great songs. I'm quoting her directly. Great songs are great songs, regardless of who writes them. We took that song and owned it. She was talking about um, crying. She could have been talking about Edge of a Broken Heart. She could have been talking about any of them. They didn't seem to mind. They knew the game, and I guess possibly they thought that with this out of the way and with you know careers made or in the process of being made, and it was with you know two top thirty hits and big box office numbers, you know that they were a big deal. That they might get a bit more license to do some stuff later on. But they did the one. They did the album next. Rev it up and that was it really <laughs> you know and then they were gone to come back again about 17 more times but they were basically gone so but i think
2: that's that's my issue with the album is that is that they've not been allowed to be a band you know i I'm just while you were talking i was looking on at uh, the product production credits and there are four producers on this album mm. now now the role of a producer i think if you look at someone like Bob rock or mutt lang or um, or bruce fairbairn or you know max norman all of those great martin birch all of those great rock producers their job is to squeeze a sound out of the band to squeeze that band's personality onto an eight track or 16 track and deliver a product that is definitive and distinctive and there have been four people involved in trying to do that for this band, and I think they suffer for it. I actually think Rev It Up is a better album.
1: It is. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, this is painting by numbers,
2: isn't it? It is. It's it's done to afford... the Vixen are the one direction of their generation.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: You know, that they've been manipulated and formed and moulded and told what to do, told what to wear, told how to wear their hair, you know, almost told... Yet, almost actually told what chords to play and in what order, despite the fact that they are mm. capable and accomplished musicians in their own right. And I think, I think in trying to to deliver or to create a successful product, EMI have missed the point with this band.
1: Yeah, and you feel that you feel that pain more when you hear. Um, I mean, we're listening to Desperate at the moment, which is a lovely track, and again, it's got another. It's got a lovely Koonamun solo in it. She was just a brilliant guitar. She had a lovely tone, a really lovely tone, a great feel for the instrument. She knew how to play it. And um, in any other band, um, she'd have been getting five-minute solos, you know, because that's how good she was and could have been. But clearly that wasn't the formula that was no. required for this. And,
2: and, and, you know, just for a sense of perspective, this is not a bad album. You know, I'm not saying it's a bad album. I'm saying it's it's not as good... As it could have been if they'd been allowed to do what they're capable of doing. Rich is the ringmaster here. It's...
0: Yeah, but again, I think for me it comes back to if EMI hadn't guided it this way, would it have been as successful as it as it was? Steve, you know, Steve was saying that the the, the quite a you know a vacuum in the mid eighties in terms of all girl bands, and yeah, uh, you know, obviously. It's, big love doing this and and all the success that it had for them so that like, i guess they were happy emi were happy because of the uh because of the sales there's us being purists i suppose about them you know not being allowed to really sing and and and, and be themselves but then would it have been successful if they had been
2: well i know that's a, that's an absolutely valid point but of course the beauty of what we're doing here tonight is that we don't have to judge the. We're not here to to rate their commercial appeal. We're here to rate the album, and mm-hmm. this is not the album that I think they would have delivered, could have delivered musically if they'd been left to, to do what they can do. Because yeah,
1: yeah, you, yeah the, you know, the irony being then, money talks. They're very proud of it, and whenever you see, whenever you hear them interview, that they've got nothing but affection for it. Especially, and, and they always, they all re- seem to sort of refer to or defer to um, Edge of a Broken Heart. And you, you, you rarely get, I mean, obviously, Jan's no longer with us and that's desperately sad. Um, but you, th- th- they all seem to defer to the big hits because they know what that meant to them in terms of careers. And they're unashamed that, um, you know, you know, Richard Marks, in effect, wrote it, even played keyboards on it, I think. And um, th- 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 they knew their role in all this. And... Um, yeah, they never seem to bother them which is a shame
2: faced with the same choices i'd have probably done the same thing they
1: did yeah and exactly.
2: I would, yeah. I, I, yeah and i think i would i would probably look back on an album that made me millions with a lot of affection oh and hell because, they live their life
1: if they're touring yeah. you know regardless of headline tours and they certainly didn't but you know supporting the likes of kiss and the scorpions and deep purple and bon jovi you know traveling the world they look lovely yeah they look lovely you know i mean let's, let, let's not let's not let's call it out as it is they look lovely and
0: that you know, they had a lot going for them. And I mean, in terms of the albums, I mean, then, then I think they, they broke up, you know, they reformed and played a load of, yeah, you know, played a load of shows, so sort of late 90s, uh, early 2000s. So they obviously still enjoyed, I mean, different lineups and stuff, but definitely still enjoyed make, playing music together, didn't they? And you see pictures and videos of them in, in concert, I mean, not too many years ago. So, you know, 20, a yeah. couple, couple of years ago, eight, eight, 2018. Um. Yeah. Great big smiles, having a great big laugh on stage.
1: Yeah, and still playing, and still playing their instruments, and still looking good. Although, if you want, um, I've got this from Wikipedia. But if you want the extent of how rock and roll they were, they really were. Cher Pedersen, as she was Ross, as she is now, has published a book of knitting designs. How about that? So um, that's really, that's really not very rock and roll, is it?
2: Looking, I mean, I was looking at the other albums that were released in 1988, and. You know, there's there's some pretty heavyweight albums. You know, Seventh Son of a Seventh Son, Iron Maiden. I think um, uh, Operation Mindcrime was released in '88. There are lots of big albums that came out in the same year. So, you know, they they're, they're punching with the big boys on this album commercially. You know, fighting for for uh, you know space on the record racks. As that it would have been then, you know, pre pre CD or post CD, but you know, still at the beginning of of that. So yeah, I mean, the, I'm not maybe I'm being overly critical, but I just that it's not. There's nothing distinctive. It's it's derivative. It's you know, you could phase this out and ignore the fact it's Vixen. It could be. Mm-hmm any band plays.
1: yeah but i mean yeah I, i'm not sure i'm that concerned about being derivative or not i mean if you, if you're not hanoi rocks you're all derivative aren't you so um, you know what i mean um yeah. the, the, Fair the, point. The, the template was there so um yeah i mean they've all got they've all got role models and people they want to be and vixen you know as soon as they moved to la you could see them just being dazzled by the lights and thinking you know i want to i want my name up there and i'll do whatever it takes um and you know without being too unkind emi saw them coming and um you know everyone's a winner and it's not as you say it's not an offensive album it's it's a it's a really nice album there's some really nice tunes it's not complicated you don't really get to appreciate their great musicianship the songs are good probably because they're not written by them i don't know but um there's 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 not a lot to this i'm slightly deflated that you're um That you're that you're you're not buzzing a little bit more, but um, but I get it. I get to Say it there, Steve.
0: There's nothing to dislike on this album. That is absolutely right. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: But it is not the album that slaps you around the head and punches you in the nose. (laughs) But which is fine. Yeah. Um, uh, But I I do think. I mean, the production is so carefully managed, isn't it? I mean, I I, I would. you know, I would like of the, the you know the production to have been uh, a a bit more up had a, a bit more you know not even a, I was about to use the word aggression not even aggression just just to be um j- j- a bit more bite more energetic a bit more up there it's it it's quite a sterile uh, production quite mm-hmm. a sterile sound and so again I don't think that is really bringing um the the best of them out and i think that could have been done without necessarily damaging the overall message Mm -hmm. made it sound better
2: yeah yeah i I think i I think that pretty much kind of dovetails with what i'm saying about it in that um i think these girls do the very best they can with what is put in front of them
1: Mm -hmm. um and Sorry, I've, got, I've just got a lovely image of being slapped around the face and punched in the nose by Roxy Petrucci, but I'll have to just go to bed with that one. That's fine. That's, that, that's for me. That's for me. <laughs>
2: um, so, yeah, I just think it's 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 one of those things where, you know, um, in a different set of circumstances, we might be talking about a better album but a less successful band. And if you're the band, you're going to go, no, I'll take the success. Thank you very much indeed. Because nobody's really going to remember that we were great musicians.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah. Come on, in, uh, boys. What you got? What you got? Give me your, give me your highs and your lows.
2: Okay, well, shall I start, and then we can we can kind of go go up from that.
1: Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. Leave me to the. Leave me to last.
2: So my my high. Well, let's start with the low point. Let's let's do the negative one. Finish on high. Um, so uh, the only below average song on this album as far as i'm concerned is unfortunately the second song in so i want you to rock me Mm. Uh, i just it it was uh, that's the other thing actually just just to, to digress slightly okay you i know the you know or one knows that they didn't write this album because if you look at the lyrics. It's all about being used or being victims or yeah. people walking out on them. And you just go, for fuck's sake, grow up there, girls. Toughen you know, up,
1: girls, toughen up, yeah.
2: Because girls' school will be there going, fuck you. you know, I'm going to go out and get drunk now. Um, but but there is an awful lot of victim in this. That, and
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um,
2: and, and I think I struggle with that as well. So I hated no i didn't hate i thought i want you to rock me was below standard below average because i just think it's I, I, it just does nothing for women's for for for, for women on any cor- any sort of level um however that that was the nadir. um my high point was the absolutely colossal crying um which i just think is uh, I mean it's just such I MTV would play that all year long. Absolutely brilliant track. Is it? Are
1: Maybe. you just taking the piss
2: or no, no, okay. I genuinely I loved crying.
1: Brilliant. Loved yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. Rich?
0: Yeah, that's a really good point Mark makes about um uh, the um the the mood of the um a, a lot of the songs. It's you know that the yeah yeah, crying and desperate and alone, um, and uh, woe is me. Um, again, I think yeah, how much of that was to t- to tap into a-, a market. As you say, if if blo- were blokes writing those songs for women to sing, <laughs> it's just um, anyway. Uh, yeah, so for me, um, um, the so the lower ones I think were yeah. Um, Probably waiting, and oh, I want you to rock me. Uh, for me, um, the high points I, I really liked "American Dream." Um, yeah. and I thought it had a really, really uh, good groove. Um, yeah, it, I mean it was, that one was written by this guy called John Butcher, who's a blues guitarist, and and so I, you know, I immediately thought, okay, well that that, that would explain the groove then. Um, and, and "Edge of a Broken Heart," it, it's um, Again, uh, as again, statement song here, here you go. This is us, we're Victor. Yeah, yeah. This is what yeah. we're all about. It, uh, it I mean, it, it first track on the album. Was it the first single? Yes. Um, so, you know, um, it, it uh, and it, it's, it's, it's a, it's good, you know. Well, I mean, I'd I mean, i I'd say it's more, you know, getting over a lot of this is getting more to AOR as much as it is glam, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it um I it, I it was a very pleasant
1: listening experience. That's almost an insult. I don't I don't like I don't like my my choices being called pleasant. So fuck you. But anyway, <laughs> side 2 is not as good as side 1. How many times are we going to say that? How many are we going to do a, one of our themed nights will have to be um, a decent side where side two is better than side one. It's just a novel, well, I guess, because you know, you'd know you want to go all guns blazing when you're early doors. I get all that. But anyway, so there's only the, the, the standout track on side two is is Waiting, which is a little bit meaner and a little bit edgier, which is a little bit, obviously, but relatively. Um, and it's written by the girls, it's written by Kuhneman and Gardner as well. So credit to them for that. But the best tracks are on side one, of that, there's no doubt. I love the two singles. I love Desperate, which I think is a really underrated track. But for me, um, American Dream gets my vote. And on that note, and I don't think we need to say any more, but I fancy that Aussie has got a challenger for bottom spot on the Hall of Fame. But we shall see. All will be revealed.
2: So uh, two albums down. So Girl's School Demolition from 1980 and Steve's choice of Vixen from 1988. So next up, we're going to talk about the Joker in the pack, Phantom Blues, built to perform. Opening album sleeve notes.
0: So, the, my discovery of, of Phantom Blue, um, I, I, um, a band I had never heard of before. Um, Mark, Steve, is is that the case with both of you as well?
2: Yep, yeah, never heard of them until a week ago. Yeah, so so I um. As
0: I said, I discovered these in um, leafing through Martin Strong's great metal discography. Um, uh, I'd, I'd gone through a few of the bands in there and, and gave them a listen. Um, uh, but then I came to these uh, these guys, girls, uh, went on to uh, YouTube, because they're not on Spotify, um, stuck on their first album. Um, uh, their self-titled uh, first album um, and uh, yeah I thought that was all right um, and then I stuck on uh, built to perform their second album and uh, promptly fell off my chair um, so more about the, the album in a minute but so they' they're um yeah so they, they were they, uh, they were formed uh, in uh, Los Angeles um, in 1987 and um, they um i mean the, the core members were the guitarist uh, guitarist michelle meldrum and uh, and nicole couch um interestingly michelle meldrum i mean i'd an unbelievable guitarist um I, I i i throw the gauntlet down um to uh identify of, you know, of of this you know the period we're looking at um of a better um female heavy rock um uh, hard, hard rock guitar she's absolutely unbelievable um then they pulled in uh, drummer uh, linda mcdonald's um and then found again an amazing uh, vocalist um in uh, gigi hangach um who my goodness has got the most uh, amazing uh, and, and powerful voice so yeah so they um i mean they, they, they caught the eye of uh, of of uh, Don Dokken um they um were so they they tempted uh, to uh, to Geffen um um this was after they 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 the re- released their their first album um and um and then it at, at, uh, it was at Geffen they um uh they they recorded this uh, this album uh, built to perform um interestingly uh, uh um um Marty Friedman of, uh, of Megadeth was uh, was involved um, in, in the early years. Uh, so, again, I think there's some guitar influences there. Uh, and um, interestingly, we, we, we mentioned uh, Max Norman, um, you know famous producer. Uh, I, mean, uh, I mean, what did he produce? Lizzie Borden, Y&T. And around this time... He was uh, producing, um, um, amongst others, uh, Megadeth's album. So he, he produced *Countdown to extension in '92 and *Euthanasia* in '94. Two of Megadeth's absolute finest, in my opinion. Um, and so I think you can see his his influence in the power um, of uh, of this album. Um, we um, we're just getting on to to to, to track two, um, which. Um, which, which is called uh, "Time to Run," which I think this was the track that made me fall off my chair. Um, I think it's absolutely uh, phenomenal, um, as I think the rest of the album is. So um, I, um, uh, I, I messaged the uh, the guys when I when I heard this and said, "Oh, oh, I've got one! I've got one!" Or I think I said something like "Fuck," because uh, what a discovery! I absolutely love this album uh what a band and why the hell weren't they bigger um guys what were your first impressions
1: i was just gonna say i fell off the chair at the same time as you rich because um there's there's nothing bad about nothing good but the, the track we're listening to time to run is just an unbelievable thunderer um and that's what this album does um so of course it's coming. It's coming straight after Vixen, and I have to ask myself, because that's how I am. I have to ask myself, is it better than than Vixen? Vixen, and with heavy heart, yes, it is. Is it heavier than Vixen? Fuck me! Is it ever? I mean, it's. Um, I mean, this is a proper album, and one. I mean, the the phrase I thought of was just criminally underrated. Um they've been they've been to Europe with this album on tour and when you read reviews um, and I've read one or two the, the words that you see as smash successful you know brilliant crowds loved them and everything so you think well wh- where the hell have they been you know wh- why were they off our radar and the radar of an awful lot of other people as well because it's um it's just um it, it's a phenomenal album and you, you brought up um um is it michelle meldrum the guitarist yes. yeah um her, her background's in speed and thrash and and i mean, boy can she play can she wield that axe i guess the, the first album was was a bit of a mixed affair wasn't it from because I've, I've played it through once just to kind of compare and contrast and it's like chalk and cheese isn't it this is um that that was pretty okay this is just pretty unbelievable and um yeah i've loved ev- i've loved every minute of it it's fantastic it, uh,
2: everything you said <laughs> it's just uh, uh, oh my fucking god what what just happened what just happened and, and why did it happen and when because i wasn't there and and i thought that i knew pretty much most of what was going on at this time of uh at, at this point in the sort of the the genre I, I i figured i knew pretty much most of the bands that were making a splash but no clearly not and this has been a, a wonderful wonderful way to spend a week i have to say it's um it's riff after riff after crunching riff and um yeah that there i was going to say there are no low points um there, there are from, there, there's one low point for me but um which is is to do with um uh the cover version on the on the the album but put that aside because it's not theirs um that this is just front to back just just bone crunchingly good Absolutely bone-crunchingly good. What,
0: what, what, yeah, what, I mean, the, the other thing I thought about was um, you know, uh, <laughs> these girls, kind of the the spiritual successors to girls' school. I mean, they had a very, very similar fuck you attitude. Um, again, by comparison, we the, 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 you know, were just talking about Vixen, pretty much wrote all their own, all their material. Um, they, you know, they, they, they knew what they were about. They knew what they wanted to do. Um, I mean, they're all, yes, I mean, I mentioned, you know, Michelle, I mean, Gigi, Gigi's voice is just incredible, but I mean, I mean, Linda McDonald on the drums, I mean, as a drummer, my goodness. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's absolutely phenomenal. Um, and, um, and again, did the, the it, it's it's criminal that there is not more material f- um, from them and more widely available. I mean, I had to, you know, scour YouTube to find, um, you know, tracks or there was a few clips of them live, a few of their videos. Um I mean, the live clips you can, uh, 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 I managed to track down, including one at um, dear old uh, Rock City in Nottingham in the UK. Um, my goodness, I mean, they, they absolutely pull it off live as well um and uh yeah i mean is it worth um, you know going back and i you know, talking a bit about about max norman um, cuz it, it, again, it again it sounds like um here's, here's a bunch of girls with with real attitude and they know what they're doing and um he brings them into a studio and he just let lets it
2: rip <laughs> just <laughs>
0: And I think and the and the production on this album is is fantastic.
1: And all the songwriting credits are theirs by and large. There's only I mean there's there's a cover on there, isn't it? But um, other than that, it's um, it's pretty much all their stuff. And um, you know what's interesting is you look into the background of some of the girls. uh, I mean Nicole Couch was. she's from Tennessee isn't she and she's um you know she, she's her background is in you know bluegrass guitar and everything goes to LA meets Meldrum at the Guitar Institute of Technology um and is transformed into this you know this rock goddess um and it's what I love about it I found this quote and this is really quite spooky because um given what we've had on tonight and it also shows how bitchy girls can be this is brilliant from couch because this, to me, this is the standout album of the night by, by, yeah, considerable distance. And she said, um, and this is quite quirky. She said, I do think that technically we were more skilled than both vixen or girls' school, although I do believe they were quite good bands. And I thought, yeah, that's just brilliant, isn't it? Proper girl talk.
2: <laughs> Damning with faint praise.
1: Exactly, yeah. yeah.
2: Um, and yet, so, so this kind of proves the point that, that, we were talking about with Vixen as well, doesn't it, that you've got a band that have been let off the leash in the studio by a a very experienced producer who knew exactly what he was doing. Um, uh, So you, what we're listening to at the moment is a band with a very distinctive sound, a very distinctive attitude, very distinctive personality who were not commercially successful. Uh, on the on the scale that vixen were and to a lesser extent girls school were if you're i don't know if you are janet gardner or you know back in the day um you know any other member of um any uh, any other member of vixen and you are i don't know meldrom or couch sitting here being honest would they have taken would they have would they have squeeze their musical principles to get the commercial success would vixen have sacrificed the commercial success to have the music credentials interesting we'll never know
1: mm. yeah and it was and it was the bigger band who made all the money but yeah yeah it's interesting um yeah don't know don't know but i'd love to have heard more of this because i've certainly the, the as, I, as i mentioned the first album it was um um you know it was okay it was um i'm ponderous is subdued i mean but but they've just they've just ratcheted it up ratcheted it up here so so high i mean we're listening to is this my misery it's about the weakest track on the album i think is the one where they get a bit thoughtful and pensive and it's you know it's the one that doesn't do it for me at all um but bailed out again by um another extraordinary Meldrum solo. And her guitar playing, I, I, I come back to it. It's just, you know, we love all the component parts of a rock band, but she is to die for. I mean, you know, talk about the glue that holds it together. She is the absolute star in Shining Lights on this beast.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, 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 for me, her and her and, uh, Gigi, Gigi, uh, who's whose voice is just? I mean, it's got such it's got re- such power range and attitude. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, uh, the, the I don't know if you, you you guys had a chance to look through some of the lyrics, <laughs> but it, again, it, it's I mean, it, there's I mean, that really it, it's absolutely you know, like you know, the, give you the finger. <laughs> this is what I'm about. I mean, the, the, the um. Yeah, the song that's going on to now called um, "Little Man," we can hear in Our, in areas. I mean, a couple of the lines um, I absolutely loved. Uh, it says, "I still remember you weren't that fucking great. The best part of you was left on the sheet." <laughs> 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 this, this is a, completely in control, um, and I think, yeah, again. Um, you, Put, put up against what we were saying about, about Vixen and, and the men writing for them um, um, this this is you know a bunch of women who knew what they were about knew what they wanted um, I don't know I'd like to think um, I've, I've read some of the you know enlisted some of the interviews with them um, whether they thought they were going to be bigger or not I don't know mm. they were very pleased with this album in terms of being able to express themselves as writers and and musicians so yeah um who knows
1: but presumably geffen did did, did geffen bin them or or did they just split up or what i mean because geffen wouldn't must have seen this as a good thing didn't they i don't know or did they, did they just the usual you know artistic differences and they all split up? Yeah.
0: i don't know one interview I saw um, that was uh, conducted just after they had left. Um, it was the, you know, the, the band was saying that they 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 were the ones that had had enough. I um, mean, it, it, who knows in these situations? Mm. Mm.
2: Well, you know, I guess if you, what, why would you have had enough? You know, you've just you've just made well, not just, but you've made an album like this. You know where, because this reminds me of. A, a bit i mean all sorts of things that reminds me of but i just can't help but think that if if skid road recorded this it would have been massive yeah you know so why would you get bored why or not bored but why would you have enough why have you why would you have had enough having turned out something like this and then not gone on to see what album three might have been like i don't get that
1: yeah yeah disagreement disagreement over the direction of the band is the uh, is the official line I don't know which which one of them peddled that but um if, if I was um if I was in that band I'd have said well whichever way Michelle meldrum wants to go personally we'll do that thank you very much leave yeah, it yeah. let's, just, let's just let's just ditto this one you know I mean that would have done
2: totally agree so I and I, I wonder as well whether um because the first album, I've only listened to it once, but it, it's a bit glammy, isn't it? It's, it's it's more sort of back in the hair metal sort of um, sphere of things, and they're named they're named for a glam rock band, really, aren't they? Phantom yeah. Blue. Yeah, if they'd reinvented themselves with a different name. I wonder if it had been different. I wonder if they'd. Well, have was, got
1: there there were quite a few years between the two albums, weren't there? Wasn't wasn't the first one a good sort of four years before it or something?
2: Yeah, there was. There was certainly there was a, a fairly long hiatus between the two, wasn't
0: there? Yeah, four yeah. years. I mean, different here, the first One came
1: out in eighty nine. Yeah. Oh,
2: okay. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, I, I, I don't get it. I don't. What? Why would you abandon it unless it was, you know, musical differences? and what, what so what's what's the thinking that that they didn't like the heavier approach somebody didn't like the heavier approach
0: I I, or, I I don't know certainly i mean it wouldn't it wouldn't appear that from i mean certainly the the girls themselves um i mean the 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 recordings and the interviews i've seen post that with the you know the um they still absolutely love playing those those tracks and that that music uh, that music live um and they did they did release um a uh, a, a live album uh um you know called uh, court live in in 1997 um so, yeah, what what so that yeah that was uh, that was recorded on the DRZ record label
1: by the way, if, if if I fell off the chair during Time to Run, I've just fallen off it again because we're now on um, Better Off Dead, which is just an absolute stonker. I, there's a little bit more um, – I mean, there's nothing to dislike in – I can't pronounce her surname. Are you going for Hangash? Hangjack? What, what are you doing with it? Hangash. It's not
0: Hangash, I would say. but uh... Hangash.
1: Well, if you look at her, she, she quotes her, hero, her, hero, her hero, hero and heroine as um, – Anne Wilson and Ozzy Osbourne, so there's your range straight away, and she can fit anywhere in there, can't she? Because there's a little bit more dexterity in a in her voice in this song. Not that she's not you know adaptable all over the place, but you know that, that, that she's a bit. You could argue she's a bit Bruce Dickinson, and that's again, that's not a criticism. You know, I mean, it, that's not the worst conveyor belt to come off. Um, but there's more tone in this. But this track is, you know, I sound like a stuck record again. Here we go, Michelle Meldrum. <laughs> the floor's yours
2: <laughs> <laughs> but you can hear you can hear megadeth in this can't you yeah,
0: yeah. i thought th- th- it's it's got a real mr brownstone shuffle as well to it this particular track but yeah uh it's, yeah real attack. again, another another brilliant lyric on better off dead is <laughs> i know you swim in the shit from your own fat head <laughs> <laughs> it's really <laughs> <laughs>
1: It's interesting because you because you're lauding them for the lyrics. There's definitely a weak a weak one to come, and that's lied to me. You must have been looking at all the lyrics because um, all I can hear is hell of a lot of swearing. That's cool. That's fun. I like girls who swear. Um, but it seems to be a bit of an attempt. Unless I've misheard it, it's their attempt at politics, and it's all a bit um it's all a bit flatulent. But uh, we'll come to that. <laughs> it's saved. It's safe by the tune. <laughs>
2: um. <laughs> dear 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 flatulent yes flatulent politics <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of that going on in america
1: at the moment there's no need for politics from phantom blue just yeah. just rock it up girls
0: um, <laughs> we we should of course mention because it's you know just so sad how i mean michelle died michelle mudram died you know very young um she I mean, died may 2008 um um yeah, at, th- at the age of uh, 39 which is really really sad um yeah. still you know mate, you know she she'd post um phantom blue and I mean she you know she played with um za uh, well, black label society and she's married to John Norum of Europe wasn't she and yeah toured with she toured with sepultura Danzig amongst others um and uh, but but yeah sadly sadly lost them um, in uh, 2008.
1: Well, it's it's a it's, it's. I was going to mention that it's a desperately sad footnote to this wonderful, wonderful episode that I've really enjoyed doing it. Um, the three bands we've enjoyed listening to—they've all lost their lead guitarists to ill health, and all far, far too early. Because of course, Kelly Johnson and um, um, died in 2007. Then we lost Michelle Meldrum, and and, and Jan Kuhneman passed away in in 2013. You know, I mean, rest in peace, all three, because, yeah, it's a really sort of... It's just three brilliant musicians, all three, and, um, yeah, real loss, real loss.
2: Yeah. Um, I don't... Yeah, it's strange, isn't it? All three bands, all three bands. Um, So, um, got anti-Love Crunch. It is anti-girls, not anti (laughs) <laughs> um have got, uh, got anti-love crunch in my ear now yeah. um, a, a song that I think would have benefited from being slowed down a bit actually Just a little.
0: Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean I, 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 I um another good thing um I, about this album is um, is actually the um the range of tempos um this <laughs> this anti anti love crunch is yeah probably the fastest <laughs> um but but actually the the, the, the other great thing about about the album is is it's a big big difference in in tempos across across all of the tracks
1: well i don't see a lot of slow stuff if i'm perfectly honest i mean it's not um that's, that's not in their makeup is it
2: no, but it's measured. The rest of the album's quite measured, isn't it? It's, it? it's it's executed in a sort of a fairly brutal but but measured way. And I, I think I think on on Anti Love Crunch, the the lyrics are just a little rushed. The you know, just a little, bit, almost like this. They're racing to fit the, the 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 lyrics to the meter, and I think just just suffers a little bit for it actually. Mm. Yeah. But, I mean, they're tiny, criticism, you know. Um, and they might very well turn around and say, well, you fucking write it then. <laughs> so, um, chaps, can we talk... Can we just... Get, I mean, I know that we're sort of moving through the album in a forward direction, but can, I just, can we just go back and talk about The Elephant in the Room, which is bad reputation? Because if you're going to do a cover, particularly if you're going to touch the sacrosanct Thin Lizzy... Then do something with it. That cover really offends me because they don't fuck all with it. Oh, that's
1: they've very just, interesting.
2: They've just, they've just essentially replicated what Thin Lizzy did with it.
1: Yeah, that's that's interesting because my track review reads this: "Lizzy cover okay That's it. <laughs> yeah, it, that's it. <laughs> Track done, track digested, dissected, disemboweled, diseverythinged.
2: It's. I mean, I think on a, on an album that is otherwise quality, back to yeah, you know, front to back and back to front. That's mm. criminal. That's so lazy.
1: Yeah, covers are a risky business, though, aren't they? Covers are a risky business. Well, they are, but you.
2: I I haven't yet heard a cover that Van Halen have done where I, I haven't thought, yeah, that's really clever. Yeah, you know, uh, we listened to Girl School earlier. Race with the Devil—it's a cover. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They've done something different with it. Yeah, you know,
1: Megadeth um, F- boots.
2: Yeah, so I, t- I don't understand what this so- what that song is doing on this album. Why is it there? Can Phantom yeah. Blue's newest fan, tell us.
0: <laughs> um, no, I, I I thought I thought it was a good cover. I, I don't think it's. They don't take it to another place. I think it's very well executed. You've got to be blooming good musicians to play that song and pull it off all good musicians. You know, the bass line on it, the guitars on it, the drums on it. Um, so no, I wasn't as offended as you. I thought it was a – I like it. I actually think it fitted in pretty well with, you know, following Nothing Good and, and Time to Run. So, yeah interesting you say that I, I, I didn't get that
1: I'm always fascinated by the thought process if you're kind of thinking you know what girls or boys doesn't matter we're gonna put a, we're gonna do a cover we're gonna put a cover on our album You just think how would you choose it I don't know it just seems really it just it just doesn't seem an obvious track if you're gonna do a cover do it do it well do it differently make it a track I don't know it's just it was a, it was a really curious shout and it, it it looks out of place a
2: little bit yeah yeah it does to me sounds out of place you look at the other you know 11 songs on the album and you go they're all their own compositions and yeah, in in by and large extraordinarily good songs and and they've decided to take a very well known song by a much loved band and they've done absolutely nothing with it. And and you just think, well, you must have had other original material that could have gone there. So why have you put a cover version there? And then having decided that you're going to do it, why haven't you done something interesting with it? I mean, I think about, you know, for me, the standard is Iced Earth's cover of ACDC's It's a Long Way to the Top If You Want to Rock and Roll, mm-hmm. which is just uh, it's a colossal song. And I actually prefer it to the ACTC original because Iced to Earth took it and they did something really interesting with it. So for me, they've let themselves down there.
1: That's where we are though, isn't it? We're picking holes in an album that's hard to pick holes in. I just, keep, I just keep coming back to, the, to the, my original thought process. And I'm so chuffed, Rich, that you've gone left field here and not just headed for Spotify as usual, you know, where we all go to. And you found something really, really interesting. And Oh God! I almost wish I hadn't heard this because it's so damn good. And you you want to know where the second one is, you know? You want to know where the third one is, and what happened next. And you know, you know, you know, this was it. But just a great find, great find.
0: Anyone, anyone listening to uh, to this uh, podcast, um, I couldn't find uh, this uh, any of their music on any of the streaming sites. Certainly not on Spotify. Uh, you can find it on YouTube. I think I can order this uh, album on vinyl second-hand from someone in Germany, uh, which I will be doing in uh, in the next few days. I, this is now my favourite album by a girl group.
2: It's just, I think it's absolutely brilliant. Steve, highs and lows?
1: Yeah, I've got, um, I mean, there's two or three that, you know, that they're, they're fine, they're okay. My, my, my weak link would be lied to me, I think. I just don't find the songwriting on it quite as interesting as some of the others. Like Rich, Time to Run was my 9 out of 10. It's just an absolute belter, but it did get pipped in my scoring stakes by um, Better Off Dead, which I just think it's just a humongous piece of work. So, yeah, that's where I am. Mark?
2: So I, I think I'm with you, actually, Steve. Maybe not with the same songs, but... Um... Bad reputation, I think, was lazy and ill, ill considered. But my low point was was anti love crunch, just because I don't think I, I think it was just it, it could have benefited from a bit of more bit of a more measured approach um, to the execution. And yeah, lied lied to me um, was the other one of the th- the trio that I would place towards the end of my preferences. So yeah, my the high point was uh time to run but within not point 3 marks also came little man better off dead and uh loved you to pieces and and actually not far behind that so easy and um, and you're free we've talked in previous ep- episodes of the podcast about how in order to get anywhere near the top of the hall of fame it has to be absolute quality front to back. And this is... Rich, come on, gush. Your turn to gush.
0: I, I, well, what can I say? In terms of um, low points for me, anti-lock crunch, a little evil, are probably the ones that, that um, aren't quite as strong. I would say, I don't know if you two agree, that again, uh, for, for me, side two, not quite as strong as side one. Maybe, maybe you'll agree. Highlights... Um, Better off dead, nothing good, uh, and then, yeah, out out in front, just time to run, uh, a, a brilliant, brilliant song. And I don't know if you uh, if you two have had a chance to see the video as well, but it, uh, I love the video, <laughs> watching them play it.
2: Reviews complete. Initialising rating process. Right then, boys, time to score uh, these beasts. Uh, so uh, let's go around the table. Um We'll uh, start with where we started uh, with Girls' School. So uh, we'll finish with me as it was my album and then, uh, and then we'll do the same so that uh, the person who owns the album for the evening gives their score last and, and then also gives the average score for that album. So, um, Steve, your score, score for Girls' School's Demolition
1: was 665
2: 6.65 that's 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 disappointingly low as far as I'm concerned but there you go
1: the point the point about it is I, w- I always made the point that um, as long as we're honest with our individual scoring tactics and sticking to what we believe in then it's probably correct and um, I've kind of slightly surprised myself but you know it is what it is it's um, it's always the weaker tracks that will bring a score down and that's ever the case.
2: Yeah, and and the the I suppose the positive thing about the way we're doing this is that clearly you know, clearly, um, you know we, we all have albums that we're individually very attached to, and actually it's the job of the other two to to flatten that curve and uh, and to you know so that we end up with a with a realistic score for the album. So I think that's fair enough, actually. Yeah. So, Richard, your score for girls' school. Yeah, I mean, I
0: I guess it is really reasonably enough, unless two of you are just completely uh, gushing unnecessarily about rat. Um, I guess it's leaving (laughs) it out from time to time. Anyway, yeah, so I, I, um, uh, so uh, mine, mine was a flat seven, a couple below it, a a few above it. It, It's interesting. It it, uh, puts it precisely level with my score for Paranoid by Black Sabbath. And I'm sitting here thinking, again, which of the two would I take to a desert island? And I think in a dead heat like this, I, I'd I'd plump for demolition. So uh, perhaps it deserves a slightly higher score, but that's a seven based on the, the track scores that I gave it.
2: Okay. And I suppose, not surprisingly, this scored really highly for me, partly because... Uh, of the context in which I first heard it, and again, you know, the, the the way that we the way that we consider these albums is 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 not just about the music; it's also about what they mean to to us as individuals. So I scored this at an eight point three six, which, when you add those three scores together and you divide it by three because that's how many of us there are, gives the whole album overall a score of seven point three three. Six, 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 six. So, um we'll we'll look at where these sit in the Hall of Fame at the end of the scoring round. But yeah, that's a pretty solid. It's not deep into the sevens, which is where Steve thinks the albums need to be to be assured a place in the Hall of Fame. But that's for for a bunch of South London girls heading out onto the the rock and roll highway in nineteen eighty. I think that's a pretty solid score. On to Vixen. So over to you, Steve.
1: I chose Vixen for a soft spot. I enjoyed the album. Remember enjoying it back in the day. Enjoyed it now. Thought, I know, Mark and will enjoy it as well. Oh, oh, how wrong I was. <laughs> <laughs> I see, I, I, I sensed I sensed halfway through as we were reviewing it that um, the, the Stevenage borough of the Hall of Fame, Ozzy Osbourne, um, was under threat. And having looked at the marks... Well, what should we say? Mark, what did you give it?
2: I didn't hate it as much as you think I... In fact, I didn't hate it. But I I had issues with it, uh, obviously, as we've been over, because I don't think it was the album that they could have produced in different circumstances. Um, But having said that, you know, it still scores, you know, a um, pretty respectable 6.84 from me. So, you know, it's nudging 7
1: yeah well that's um well in the context of what's to come that's very good now then what's to come rich <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> i refer the gentleman to my earlier comment it's uh, not unpleasant um, <laughs> yeah i <laughs> sorry steve i scored it a, a a 5.85 you know what pulled it down a, you know, a couple of 5 and a halves even a, even a one five. Do you think it's probably the I, No, have I given us a, a track that lower score um until now oh yes I did on uh, dear old paranoid it's an album honestly that um in the context of everything else we're listening to on these nights just doesn't do enough for me uh, as a as a piece of rock art
1: well you you see I mean you said at the time it sounded and felt average and it's you've scored it just above average so you know i mean it's um it's it's fair enough i mean you're wrong but it's fair (laughs) enough and i scored it probably unsurprisingly considerably higher than my (laughs) compadres um i gave it a 7.35 which i hasten to add i've done so without scoring any single track higher than 8.5 so um i think there's a consistency about this album that um that the boys got, but just didn't appreciate. So Vixen is sadly heading for last spot with an overall album average of 6.68.
0: So finally then uh, for this evening, Phantom Blues uh, built to perform and I scored uh, this uh, album overall uh, 7.38 or so. Um I think, I think it's really consistent. And as I said, I mean, time to run. I, I gave a nine because it's just an absolute belter um, of a track. What pleasantly surprised, surprising for me is, um, you know, you guys, you gave it some pretty big score too. Uh, and, and Mark, I mean, you, you, you scored it higher than I
2: did. Yeah, yeah. I, I gave it a 7.8 overall because that's what it deserves. I think it's... Uh, an absolutely you know, awesome album. It, it has one or two kind of—I mean, I was going to say stumbles, but they're not even that. Really, a misstep here, maybe a misstep there, but um, overall, front to back, absolute quality.
1: Um, yeah, I'm kind of—I'm looking at the score I gave it, which was six point nine five eight three three, um, and it, I, I cast my mind back to last week with Rage Against the Machine, which I awarded. A very similar number, indeed, 6.95. And um, the breakdown was exactly the same. It was um, top-heavy. It was um, all the the big guns were on side one last week with Rage, and they are again this time. I scored side one 7.6, and side two just kind of – it just got a little bit samey, just a little bit samey. I mean, don't get me wrong – six point i mean call it seven for for one of a few numbers um and i think that's a good enough score for a for an album any any day of the week
0: it all adds up and average them uh to um an overall 7.38 which puts it pretty much on on a level with with uh, with demolition which i mean do you, do you think is is fair guys uh, yeah i do
2: i you know i i i certainly i mean i you yeah, you could you could and probably will accuse me of overscoring uh, demolition, and there might be a grain of truth in that. Um, but the fact is, fans you know, in blue have come out with a, a higher average score. But I think that's probably fair reflection, actually.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Is um, that's fifteen albums now into the Hall of Fame, and none of these three got into the top nine. Are we getting fussier?
2: I suppose the question is, what are we we really marking? So we've we've said rather, I I suppose, somewhat pompously that we're being quite academic about it. And we're we're scoring the the music, darlings, not not the emotions. But actually, music is about emotions, isn't it? And if we had lived with um, Phantom Blue, I mean, God, God, give me the chance. But if we had lived with Phantom Blue since 1993, when this album was released, would it have scored better? Possibly. I don't mm. know. Possibly. Mm. You know, Girl's School, Girl's School is Girl's School. You know, I don't think much as I love that album, I would ever have expected it to, you know, nose into the into the top 10. And I think, you know, Vixen doesn't, for me, doesn't sound as good today as it sounded, might have sounded in 1988. So, and, and I'm not emotionally attached to the album. So it's easier for me to be to be slightly more ruthless in the way I score it. So I think, yeah, you know, and that's why it's important, I think, that there are three of us scoring it to give it an average, which actually then places some sort of degree of reality on it. Richard, do you want to kind of take us through the um, where these three have ended up in the Hall of Fame?
0: As it stands, um, built to perform is sitting above <laughs> Rage Against the Machine, Girls School, Leonard Skinner's Black Sabbath, Paranoid and Vixen would make them, I hope, very happy and the fact that they're snapping on the heels of van halen's first and highway tail bay A C D C is no mean feat so yeah so phantom blue come in at um at number 10 pot pickers girl school um two places below phantom blue one below rage against the machine at number 12 and uh yeah sadly uh for steve particularly uh, vixen propping up the now 15 albums that we've reviewed in last place
2: so i think uh, i think if, if you if you're girl's school and and in 1980 somebody would have said she you know i mean depending on how much credibility you give the wafflings of the three of us but if somebody said you know actually your your this album will be a, a more Will be better received in time than um, Leonard Skinner's debut. I think they'd have taken that, wouldn't they?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and and, and another takeaway from this list, of course, is we we've, we've got fifteen albums in this Hall of Fame, and it's the bar's been set very high in the first three weeks because of the categories we chose. So those those top nine albums, you know, while they won't be the top nine at the end, of course, they won't they're going to take some budging from the top 20 or so, aren't they? Because, you know, we went for our first album we bought, favourite album, and then three of the, you know, great albums of all time. Um, So everything else that's coming behind, you know, they're tough acts to follow. And so, uh, you know, if you you wind up giving scores of something like 7.38 for Phantom Blue, which is, you know, less than 0.3 of a mark behind Van Halen's debut album, you know, that says to me, yeah, that's a decent album.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and some, and some. It's time to put the rock in a hard place, opening the Hall of Fame. So there we are, another episode of the Enter Sad Men podcast is over for another week. Next week, we will be back uh, talking about the uh, bands that shaped a change in the genre, which for a category or a, episode title that we have dubbed caught in a mosh and for those of you who are fans of mr belladonna and mr ian that doesn't necessarily mean that anthrax will feature but it doesn't necessarily mean they won't we'll see you next week <laughs>